0: Hi, I'm your host, Bella Page, and welcome to the Post-Concussion Podcast, all about life after experiencing a concussion. Help us make the invisible injury become visible. The Post-Concussion Podcast is strictly an information podcast about concussions and post-concussion syndrome. It does not provide, nor substitute, for professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment always seek the advice of your physician or another qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast the opinions expressed in this podcast are simply intended to spark discussion about concussions and post-concussion syndrome Welcome to today's episode of the Post-Concussion Podcast with myself, Belle Page, and today's guest, Michaela Olson. Michaela is a registered psychotherapist in the state of Colorado. She completed a Masters of Science program through Capella University for Clinical Mental Health Counseling. She received her Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the University of Colorado, Denver, and is currently a Chi Sigma Lata member, which is the Honor Society for Professional Counseling. Michaela has five years of experience working in the clinical field for an advanced brain imaging company. She also began a career in clinical research and works for a large international clinical research organization managing drug trials. Her passion lies in finding the connections between brain-based conditions and how mental health is affected when neurological and psychiatric factors impact one's quality of life. Michaela capitalizes on her knowledge of brain anatomy and function to help her clients understand the root cause behind their symptoms and gives them the right tools to move forward. Her specialties include first responder trauma, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and anxiety following mild traumatic brain injury or concussion. She utilizes cognitive behavioral approaches, mindfulness, and somatic approaches to help clients learn to identify, challenge, and redirect thought patterns associated with emotional distress. She helps clients to reprocess and clear emotional traumas from the body. Michaela's completed an advanced training in childhood trauma, neglect, and abuse through Dr. Bruce Perry's Neurosequential Modeling Program back in 2018. Michaela is a Colorado native and spends her time skiing, horseback riding, and traveling with her husband when she is outside of the office. Welcome to the show, Michaela.
1: Thank you so much. Glad to be here.
0: So to start, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about your background and how you got into concussion-related
1: therapy? Yeah, definitely. So I started with a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology. I earned that through the University of Colorado here in Denver. I then went on to earn a Master of Science degree in mental health counseling. Just finished that program a few months ago. Very glad that that's over and (laughs) behind me now. So then I worked in a radiology practice actually for about six years. And it was in this space that I worked with a lot of concussion patients, people who had had head injuries from sporting events, football, lacrosse, soccer, both children and adolescents, as well as professional athletes. We also worked with a lot of patients who had suffered a head injury or a traumatic brain injury from slips or falls, car accidents, just about any type of of mechanism of how a concussion can happen are the patients that would come through this radiology clinic. So my job with this small Denver-based clinic was to work with patients in the diagnostic process of concussion and TBI. This involved a lot of advanced brain imaging, we would work with a team of radiologists who specialized in neuroanatomy functioning, how different parts of the brain are affected when there's a concussion and a head injury. So through my work there with the the six years with that group, I really started to find that there was a, a pretty large disconnect, not only in the medical understanding of concussions and TBIs, but also in the treatment of those injuries. As anyone who's had a concussion can attest, there is a whole host of symptoms that come with those injuries. It's not always just memory loss, headaches, trouble focusing or concentrating. There can be a whole spectrum of psychological and emotional issues that stem from that injury as well. And a lot of the patients I worked with at this radiology clinic were pretty desperate for someone to help them rebuild their emotional capacity, whether they went through personality changes, perhaps their children, their spouse, their family members noticed a big difference in their personality and their emotional stability after that head injury. So that's kind of where my interest Kind of shifted out of purely medical diagnostic work with concussion patients, and and really moved into the therapeutic space. So that's where I am now. I work closely with a, a colleague of mine who runs her own psychotherapy group here in Denver, and a good portion of the patients that come through our clinic for psychotherapy are patients with concussions or TBI. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's always interesting to hear people's backgrounds and how they got into it because I always find it's very different for everyone. And I like how you notice the, I call it a gap. It's like mm-hmm. our healthcare has a huge gap in it. We focus on all these physical aspects that are happening, but they're forgetting about the other half of you and the lifestyle things that affect your everyday to day life when you're just living with these injuries. And it's often forgotten and it can be really hard to manage because a brain injury can be very traumatic. And I know it's something you've talked on before. So how does trauma really affect our brains?
1: Yeah. So one of the first ways, if I'm working with a patient in a therapeutic setting, we go through a lot of psychoeducation on the actual process of how the brain works, and then how that process is altered after an injury. So trauma can be defined in many different ways. Every person has their own definition of trauma. At our psychotherapy group, we rely on the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual nice big booklet of (laughs) psychological disorders. And within that manual, the authors refer to trauma as something that is life-altering. It can be physical as well as emotional. More often than not, it is a combination of both. So when I would work with, or when I do work with patients in the therapeutic setting, I always like to start out with the biological root of the trauma response. So. In a normal, I'll call it normal, in a normal functioning brain, a brain that maybe hasn't been exposed to a life-threatening trauma, we kind of have these two systems within the brain that work cohesively. We have what's called the limbic system of the brain, which is, from an evolutionary perspective, very old. Humans have had a limbic system for millennia, most mammals and even non-mammals have a limbic system. And this is the biological root or where our emotions are generated from. This is where the fight or flight response is managed. This is the system that tells us, are we hungry? Are we thirsty? Are we in danger? It's the, the core processing software of the brain. Over time, as humans evolved, we developed Bigger brains, a bigger capacity for conscious thought, and that's called the cortex. Now, um, one of the main segments of the cortex that I refer to a lot when I talk about trauma is the prefrontal cortex. And that's what sits on the very front or the anterior portion of the brain. And this is responsible for our cognition. So this is the part of the brain that helps us focus, concentrate, make rational decisions, think logically through situations. So again, in a normal, non-traumatized brain, that limbic system and that prefrontal cortex have this nice symbiotic relationship. They work together, the limbic system may say, hmm, heard a weird noise, what was that? And the prefrontal cortex then says, no big deal, that's a car driving down the street, what have you, it's not a threat. So in a patient who has some sort of history with a traumatic experience, that relationship or the communication between the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex can be quite impacted in a negative way. That limbic system may be on overdrive and more sensitive to external stimuli that it deems threatening. When that limbic system takes over that logical, rational part of our prefrontal cortex doesn't have a whole lot of say in the matter. That limbic system tends to override the rational, logical response. So that's a a very large roundabout way that I start to talk about trauma from a a biological root, and then we dive into more of the, the emotional impacts that that relationship can have.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting because for myself, the trauma was more after, actually, not the injury itself. It was more the effect of the injury, I guess, would really Mm -hmm. be my trauma. That was traumatic because I spent years really ill. And it's interesting because a few people that have been on the podcast, they have severe PTSD from the incident themselves and things like that. And there's lots of different ways to experience trauma, I think PTSD can be a very broad term, actually, Mm -hmm. because PTSD for one person can be a very minimal experience, something that they deal with where other people can really take over. And do you want to touch on PTSD a little bit more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder is very common. For a long time, diagnosticians in the psychological world would sometimes steer away from that diagnosis. Over the past, gosh, probably a few decades or so, it's become a much more frequently used term or diagnosis. And oftentimes when we think about PTSD, we think about perhaps war veterans or soldiers you know, returning home from overseas. Back in my my days at the radiology practice, we did work with a lot of veterans, military personnel, and unfortunately, PTSD is is one of the hallmark diagnoses that these patients will come home with. And just to your point, you are exactly you know, spot on when you say that you know, PTSD can come not only from the incident itself, but the months or years of recovery from whatever that traumatic experience was. And that's also part of the the biological process of how the brain is physically rewired after that traumatic experience occurs. One of my favorite examples that I use with patients all the time is a veteran example. This is a a made-up scenario, but I'm sure a lot of people could identify with it. But take, for example, a soldier returning from overseas overseas perhaps they were you know exposed to enemy fire they were you know their survival was threatened perhaps they were in a very scary situation a pretty typical life for a, a soldier and perhaps in that time they experienced a loss of a fellow soldier perhaps they were injured themselves in that battle and that experience itself rewires the limbic system of the brain to remember that traumatic experience and avoid any repetition. The brain does not want to undergo that same stressor again. So then, you know, a few months or years later that veteran returns home and any stimuli that mimics or is relatively similar to what they experienced in that overseas situation comes back to haunt them a little bit. So perhaps the noise of a car backfiring sounds very similar to gunshots or fireworks going off on 4th of July can be very triggering for people who are sensitive to that type of stimuli because their limbic system is conditioned to remember that that's a dangerous, life-threatening noise or, or stimulus. And so, PTSD then is the repetition of that stressor, even though you're in an environment that is relatively safe and secure. And so, through the PTSD diagnostic process, you know, us as therapists or counselors or psychologists will go through and really dive into the root basis of those triggers to help work through that trauma response and kind of break that cycle and rewire the limbic system to realize that fireworks on the 4th of July aren't the same type of threat that happened, you know, many years ago.
0: Mhm. Yeah, and I I always think it's interesting to say that it's a way of your body protecting you in the wrong way
1: because
0: that's essentially what it is it's thinking okay this was really bad last time let's not do it like you said again Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to think of it that way because I think putting it into different perspectives can really help people because sometimes we think PTSD and we think really extreme things like veterans who deal with PTSD but sometimes PTSD isn't from such extreme events and I think it's important to remember that that just because you didn't go through something so severe as maybe a veteran did, it doesn't mean that your trauma isn't any more real. And it doesn't mean that your brain isn't reacting the same way that theirs is.
1: Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought that up. And you, are, again, you're exactly right. A lot of the patients that I work with in the therapy setting will say similar things. They'll say, this is my trauma, this is what I went through, but oh it's not nearly as bad as what it could have been and and it, it's a good moment to to pause and think about no matter how the trauma occurred, the same type of biological process is happening in the brain. So it it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things how quote unquote severe the trauma appears on paper or on the surface. It's those deeply ingrained processes and neural networks that are rewired in the brain regardless of the type of trauma
0: Mm -hmm. well i think that is a great discussion so far and we're going to take a quick break and get more into tips for handling trauma and relationships with it as well so let's take a break If you follow us on social media, you may have seen a few posts about Concussion Connect, a place for everyone related to the concussion and brain injury community. We understand the need for a safe place to go separate from your regular social world, less overwhelming and more personal. Join Concussion Connect to have a place to share and get support along your survivor journey get access to our weekly support groups and keep connected with members through a personalized and secure chat. Though a place for survivors, we also welcome all loved ones and professionals who are out to learn more about this invisible injury. Go to concussionconnect.com or find the link in our episode description today. I can't wait to connect with you all. Welcome back to the Post-Concussion Podcast with myself, Page, and today's guest, Michaela Olson. So something we wanted to get into was tips for handling trauma. Essentially, a lot of concussion and brain injury survivors deal with trauma, and I think it'd be an important thing to talk about. And tips for kind of where to start, what to do, where to get help, all that.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the best ways to start on the road to recovery from an emotional perspective after a concussion or head injury really is to, to learn more about it. That psychoeducation piece, I don't think gets enough credit in the industry. And sometimes simply just understanding why your brain and your body are reacting a certain way can really go far in helping you feel like you're not crazy. There's reasons for why you're having these symptoms. There's reasons why certain aspects of daily functioning are a struggle. And sometimes being able to pinpoint that why not only makes the therapeutic and the recovery process easier, but sometimes it's just easier to sit with. It's easier to process and know that things are happening for a reason. And it's not all something that's fabricated or something that is being exaggerated.
0: Mm -hmm. And I like that you touched on learning more about it, because I think a lot of people, the biggest thing is they always start asking why. And it can take a little bit to learn about these things, but it can really help you. So you're not blaming yourself so much.
1: Definitely. That psychoeducation piece, I think is, is one of the great places to start in that recovery process. Certainly, you can do that on your own. There are Hundreds of thousands of research articles and resources for concussion survivors and and TBI patients, you know, this podcast being one of them. But aside from, you know, learning about things on your own, you know, finding a specialist, whether it's a therapist, a counselor, a neurologist, or a physician who's well versed in how concussions can alter the brain and alter lifestyles, is also a great place to start. To have someone in your court who knows what's going on, who can explain things in a way that's easy to understand and digest, perhaps give some materials or some ideas for those lifestyle adaptations. Reaching out to people like that can be extremely helpful. You know, kind of going back to my background, that's one of the reasons why I got into this field, was noticing that gap. And there are a lot of therapists and counselors out there who, work with concussion patients, TBI patients. And so just having someone to talk to who understands perhaps what you're going through goes a long way.
0: Mm -hmm. Especially with this being invisible, as we often talk about on the show, because it is hard to explain to those around you and tell them what's going on when sometimes you don't really know the answer either. I know a lot of the time when I was going through this, I didn't really know what to say. I didn't really know how to explain the thoughts that were going through my head. I didn't know how to explain that I couldn't control my emotions and that I was raging or crying and had no idea why. And it was really hard for me to communicate with others around me because I didn't know what was going on myself. And if you don't know that answer, it makes it even harder. So do you have any tips for individuals who do deal with things like PTSD, lack of emotional control? And trying to communicate that with the ones that are around you.
1: Yes, I wish there was a manual or a a step-by-step guide on how to do this. Of course, it's very different for every person and it's dependent upon, you know, your support system, what types of relationships you have in your life, but one of the things that I Teach my patients, and some of the things we'll work through in counseling sessions is learning how to articulate and use a certain type of vocabulary to express those emotions. So when you find yourself crying for no reason, or you feel irritated or frustrated at a certain situation. Let's work on developing some key phrases or some key words to describe what's going on internally. You know, so for example, say you are cooking dinner with your spouse or your significant other, and something happens, perhaps they mess up something in the recipe, or they didn't clean the dish that you needed to use next. Let's work on words and language to describe why that act is frustrating to you instead of blowing up or crying or what may feel like overreacting to a small situation. Let's take some deep breaths. Let's pause in that moment when the emotions start to happen and pick up those key words or key phrases. And sometimes having a a go-to dictionary so to speak, can be something that you rely on in many different situations. So for patients that I've worked on this with, it's a helpful tool, a helpful skill for them to develop that dictionary that's what they can use to describe the difficult emotions they're feeling. Over time, that dictionary can grow. The words can adapt and change. But for example, just Taking that deep breath, pausing in the moment and telling your spouse, you not washing that dish in the kitchen made me feel this way. And leave it at that. And practice those statements of expressing yourself in a calm, collected manner. And over time, that behavior becomes repetitive as we practice and implement it. And oftentimes that helps the the spouse or the significant other or whoever else is involved in that situation also understand that they're not reacting because they're mad at me or because they hate me. They're reacting because their brains and their bodies are trying to learn ways to deal with these difficult and oftentimes new emotions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really like that you mentioned so many things, especially the support system, because Of course, everyone's support system is very different. Some of us have very large ones. Some of us have one person. And some people don't have anyone really, which is why Concussion Connect was launched to help others reach out with other brain injury survivors and other professionals that they can just talk to on a casual basis who understand what you're going through can really help you relieve some of that tension and bottling up feeling that I think a lot of people tend to do. Mm -hmm. And we know that bottling up is not a good idea because it usually results in an explosion. We don't want to explode on the people that are there to support us and help us. And we want to come up with tools that prevent us from doing that, even though it might feel like you don't have a lot of control about that. And so you've given us a lot of advice, a lot of tips a lot of things on a very sensitive topic like trauma. So is there anything else you would like to add before we end today's episode?
1: I think the only other thing that I like to preface with patients that I work with in this space is that you're not alone. You really aren't. There are so many people out there who have suffered from concussions, head injuries. It might have even been a concussion that was undiagnosed. And symptoms catch up to you sometimes in adulthood. And as the brain naturally ages, those symptoms can certainly start to change as we age. And so even concussions that were deemed not as severe, perhaps a doctor in an emergency room didn't diagnose you with a concussion, didn't catch it, I would have to say that the likelihood of bumping into someone on the street who's never had any head injuries or concussions before is probably pretty rare. And so for a lot of the patients I work with, that can be a really calming idea that you aren't alone in these, these situations, in these struggles. And so resources where you can meet other people who have gone through similar situations, commiserate with others, vent about, you know, certain things, share success stories. That's a really powerful place to to heal from.
0: Mm-hmm. Well I think you're exactly right on a lot of that. And you're not alone. And we talk about that a lot here. That's why we exist today. And it's actually crazy. I'll have conversations at just the other day at a dinner party and someone told me their whole life concussion story and they said they'd never really talked to anyone about it before because they didn't know there was other people out there like that and Mm -hmm. it's crazy how so many people feel that way but we're working on changing that so thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience with concussion and trauma
1: thank you so much for having me
0: support the podcast if you truly love the podcast please consider supporting us through our tip jar find the support the podcast link in our episode description all tips are greatly appreciated Has your life been affected by concussions? Join our podcast by getting in touch. Thank you so much for listening to the Post Concussion Podcast and be sure to help us educate the world about the reality of concussions by giving us a share. And to learn more, don't forget to subscribe.